War in the Middle East. Yup. Gold at 1550. Yup. The Pope slapping its pilgrims. Yup. Weasels, Peppa Pig, Suge Knight, the markets. I am Gerardo Del Real along with my co-host, Mr. Nick Hodge. And this is episode 51 of Bizarro World. It is getting more bizarre by the day, Mr. Hodge. How are you? Happy New Year, sir. I am better than that Iranian general. How are you, Gerardo? I am also better than that Iranian general. I also believe I am better than the young American soldiers that have just been sent to the Middle East to quote unquote, right? Because language matters or it doesn't nowadays. The the, the line is they were being sent over there to make sure that we de-escalated the situation. So um, for anybody that's been around longer than 25 to 30 years, we all remember the Iraq war. We remember the, the, the cost in human lives, um, not just for the people that died right on all sides of it, but for the soldiers that again, on both sides of it, that came home and ended up with, you know, PTSDs and, and the suicide spikes and the domestic violence spikes and all the nasty stuff that comes with war. And I will say this, I am no expert on the middle East. I am not an expert on foreign policy, but man, are there a lot of people out there showing their ass in regards to this? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts, Nick. Um, you know, my thoughts are just about like feelings as an American citizen, right? I don't pretend to be an expert on geopolitics or the Middle East or certainly um, Iranian generals. What I remember is is what you remember, right? I remember watching the um, you know, Persian Gulf War in the early 90s and the green streaks growing across the, the TV and everybody tuning in. And then I just remember it becoming a repeating um, pattern of um, the country and of my life for the past, like you said, if you've been around for more than 25 or 30 years, uh, it's just been a, a cycle of this, right? One country after the next, um, one generation after the next. We talked on this podcast before about how, um, you know, uh, the uh, person born in, in <laughs> when the September 11th attacks happened is, is now hmm. old enough to serve in Iraq and that war is still going on. And so um, it's a cycle. And whether that's about, you know, opium or whether that's about oil or whether it's, you know, truly about freedom and our privacy and, and they hate us because of our freedoms. Um, it's probably some mix of, of all of that. Right. And um, I don't know, it just seems like it's, it's, um, a, re, a repetition of, of what we've seen before. Um, yeah. Sending 3000, 4000 people um, to the Middle East. And so um, we've seen a bit of response in the markets. The, the, you know, Dow is down some 200 points and gold was up 20 or, or 30 bucks in the, in the past couple of days. I'm not sure that it's going to be a, a long-term driver. Um, I think it's probably more uh, a flavor of the week. You remember, or you may not remember, is actually my point that hmm. um, drones drones bombed Saudi Arabia's oil field just a couple of months ago, and I haven't read one allegedly. Shred of, <laughs> allegedly, right? I haven't read <laughs> read one shred about that. Like basically, since the day it happened. So these things come and go. It's getting a lot of clicks today, and certainly there's an escalation with the sending of troops, um, which is sad to see. And I guess those are my thoughts. I agree. Let's talk about the markets and what we're here for, right? Um, gold, you mentioned, is right near that 1550 mark, getting close to a six-year high. Oil spiked 3%, if you want to call that a spike. I think everybody is waiting to see what the response will be. 
Um, just for some context, the gentleman, if I may call him that, uh, the general that was killed on the Iranian side was the, you know, it, it was basically the number two guy, right? It would be the equivalent of Mike Pence um, being killed as far as the hierarchy goes, as far as the rank goes. Now, to be clear, um, an evil fucking guy that's been responsible for the deaths of many, many, many people. Uh, nobody's arguing that aspect of it. Again, I just think that it's, you know, it's typically old men that send young men to die. And I hope that we're a lot more careful with um, the policy this go round. We'll leave it there. Um, do you think gold breaks that 1560s level that is so critical? And then that I've said, you know, if we, if we can breach that, I think we're off to 16 and 1700 here in uh, 2020. Uh, one thing that's interesting to note is that I believe both President George W. Bush and Barack Obama had the chance to kill this um, gentleman, as you called him, and they um, declined to do so. So Trump is obviously more inclined to do so and did. The reason the previous presidents didn't want to do it, as I read, again, no expert here, I've only known about this for the past eight hours like everybody else, um, was that they were afraid of the escalation that would follow because, as you said, he was high up there. He was considered um, as a leader of Iran and to be the leader of Iran um, and for the past two decades has been um, the center of their their military planning. So we, we do have to wait and see what the response will be. Um, I don't want that be the to, to be the primary driver of gold, though, because I think there's many more fundamental reasons that gold should be going higher. So I hope it's not one of those um, quickly inflate and deflate, deflate things where it's, you know, it gave us one step forward, but then two steps back on the downside. I hope it's one of those things where um, it's more of a spark, right? That we talk a lot about fear and greed, and perhaps it's one of those things that can, um, you know, it's a fear spark, but hopefully maybe it can get in some of those greed buyers, particularly if, um, Gold could get above the this technical level between 1560 and, and 1570 that it needs to get above to move higher. And then we could get into some more, um, well, fun. Yeah, kind of a quiet week news-wise as far as the junior resource space goes. But there was some definite, um, very, very solid price action on a lot of companies, right? Gold Mining Inc. is 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 right near 52-week highs. Um even new deals like Guerrero Ventures, you know, they don't really have a flagship asset yet. But, you know, that's a private placement that, you know, we had an opportunity and I did participate at a dime just, I want to say, a month and a half or two months ago. And that's sitting here at, you know, 35, 36 cents. Um, you know, Almond and Minerals, we, we've touted them over and over. They're, they're flirting with 80 cents here after hitting a low of 55, 60 cents just a month or so ago. So I think there's, you know, there's definitely some supportive price action are there any companies um that you're looking at nick that still seem like opportunities out there in the space gosh it's broken record time gerardo um <laughs> I, I mean i put out a buy on on a couple of companies as year-end um tax trades one was probe metals one was midas gold and one was cucho and i was writing yesterday that and I always, when I put those out, I put a, a buy under price that, that you shouldn't buy shares under. So you put a limit order in to buy shares under that price. And the only one that had remained um, under that price as of yesterday was, was Cucho Copper. I think that, um, you know, copper is fundamentally important for the world going forward over the next couple of decades. The um, industry is ripe for, for mergers and acquisitions. I was reading in Bloomberg this week that um, although the... Um, overall 
deal volume, mining deal volume, M&A volume uh, was down last year, the, the gold volume was significantly higher, something like $33 billion of M&A deals and analysts, big analysts from like Barclays and things like that were, were projecting that uh, that could spill over into the base metals. And they were talking about how companies like BHP and um, Rio um, have been loath to open their pocketbooks to, um, you know, buy new assets, acquire new companies, and that what we've seen this year with Barrick and Newmont, et cetera, um, could spark those other more industrial base metal players to act in the M&A space. And that would be good for um, the abacuses of the world and the, the cuchos of the world, which is the answer to the uh, question you asked in the Cordobas of the world who are finally getting their um, financial house um, in order or disorder, depending on, you know, <laughs> which side of the share structure you're on there. Agreed. Agreed. Um, something of interest to me, Lithium Americas, I, I, I wrote an article, I think maybe a month or so ago, calling a lithium bottom following the lead of, you know, people like Simon Moores from Benchmark Minerals Intelligence, and they do a really good job um, keeping track of the critical metal space and, 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 and a great job keeping track of lithium and the activity in that sector. And, you know, I thought about a month or so ago that 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 the bottom was in not so much for you know lithium carbonate and the pricing around that but for the for the equities that had been just absolutely destroyed in the past couple of years it's interesting that lithium americas is up you know some 20 percent here in the past week week and a half it's interesting to me um that advantage lithium is up you know i think it's nearly doubled in the past couple of weeks if i'm not mistaken and so something to keep an eye on there there's not a lot of quality names out there because it's such a tricky sector um, but even if you have a bit of exposure, right, it's um, the moves happen quick and it speaks to what we talked about last week. You have to be in position. You have to be there when the turn happens. And if it means that you're a little bit early and you see your portfolio down 30, 40, 50 percent, so be it. When it turns, it turns quickly. And so hopefully people are positioned for 2020. Let's talk about the rest of the year. Nick, do you see 2020 ending with a higher gold price? Well, I certainly hope so. We talked about um, you know, sort of our feelings at the end of 2019. And I, or I was saying that, you know, if this sector doesn't turn by the end of 2020, <laughs> it might be it for, it might be it for me. So I think I have to say higher and, and look, you know, gold has shown, um, really significant strength, um, over the past 30 days. I mean, really, really strong, um, updates for fundamental reasons before this recent, um, geopolitical stuff. And so even if I say higher, and even if it's only 1575 or 1600, that is a significantly higher gold price than we've had over the past three or four years, obviously, because we're at five or six year highs now. And so there are companies and there are assets that should be trading higher and will be re-rated um, on the $1,575 or $1,600 gold price alone. So I will say higher, but I will also say that we're already higher um, and, and there are equities that, will, that, that need to catch up to that higher gold price that haven't. Agreed. Copper, thoughts there. We've talked about the importance of copper to the electrification of everything. Um, very well-connected and well-off people like Mr. Robert Friedland have been on record saying he expects record high copper prices in the next several years. Um, it's a sector and a commodity that I am bullish on. Thoughts on that, Nick? 
I'm bullish as well, barring any major um, global financial calamity, right? But the future is obviously electric. We said earlier that um, oil, quote unquote, spiked 3% on this Middle East stuff when we know historically um, when the world was more dependent and certainly the U.S. was more dependent on the Middle East for its oil, that oil would have spiked much higher. But um, now with the U.S. less dependent on foreign sources and um, the market knowing that the future is less dependent on oil in general, we don't see as big of a spike um, during geopolitical tensions like we're seeing this week because the future is electric. And so I'm bullish on copper. Um, we obviously need a higher price to bring some of these marginal projects um, that are on the cusp of, of being economic into profitability and, and to obviously bring new projects online. So I think we need a $3 uh, plus copper price, yes. I like it. I, I I see it in the cards as well. I, I I read through the minutes of the Fed today, and it you know on the one end of it, they say they'll likely stop the repo operations in mid January. I take that to mean let's see what the next couple of weeks bring. I expect the market to force the Fed's hand and make it do an about face um, the way it did when it tried to cut down and tighten the balance sheet. I don't think that the repo operations are going to go away. That's a personal opinion. It's speculation on my part. We'll know in the next couple of weeks. Um, you know what's interesting? Yeah. You know what's interesting? And and I got to put on my tinfoil just for a second. But, you know, <laughs> just as it seems, we're getting to the the, the end of the playbook for the, the, the financial side of things, right? The, the war side of things heat up. It's funny how uh, a war can sort of distract attention and also be used as a tool um, by, let's call it, international players when recession or financial calamity is, is here or among us. And now I'll take my hat back off. Yeah, I'll put it on for you. Appreciate the, the the passing of the hat there, Nick. You know, I find it interesting that we just passed a, a trillion dollar defense spending bill that had overwhelming bipartisan support in an age where politicians can't agree on anything other than spending our money. By our money, I mean taxpayer money, right? And so it's interesting to me that it, that that bill passed with overwhelming bipartisan support. You know, despite all the talk about impeachment and corruption and this and that and everything you hear from both of the major parties in this country. And here we are, you know, less than a week or two later. And now we are on the verge of well, not on the verge. We're, we're, we're sending three to four thousand um, reportedly um, soldiers to the Middle East to, of course, again, deescalate the situation, if you believe that um, again kind of like the feds about face that I anticipate the next couple of weeks. I believe there will be a lot more than three or 4,000 American soldiers in the middle East. And I think, uh, I hope that we're somewhat wiser a couple of decades later than we were back in 2001, 2002, 2003 and the escalation that happened since I'll leave that there. Let's talk about something that makes people happy. Marijuana, Illinois, in dire financial straits, on the verge of bankruptcy, I've been writing about this for years, um, has decided to legalize the recreational use of marijuana. In its very first day, it generated $3.2 million in sales on 77,000. That's 77,000 transactions. And, you know, that's pretty impressive because most of those people were probably hungover. 
Anytime. You got to get out of bed to go to the store, don't you? I'm impressed. That's some initiative for some potheads that supposedly are just going to sit around all day. They got up, got out, and spent some money. So, you know, I I think that this is definitely, um, you know, this is the 11th state, I believe, that has um, legalized recreational marijuana use. And I think, you know, before it's all said and done, it's going to be the entire country. Um, And I think, you know, states like Illinois that are in serious trouble that have a pension crisis that are underfunded um, and with no mathematical way to get out of it. I think this is one of those last kind of, um, you know, attempts to, 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 to bring in some tax revenue because they've skimmed the rest of it. Right. Do you think that's a trend that continues nationwide? And do you think that the states that are in better fiscal shape, like the state of Texas, which I'm in, are, are, are going to be kind of like the last holdouts for recreational marijuana use? I have all kinds of thoughts, and I know we want to talk about Ontario as well. Um, Illinois is big because, obviously, that's where Chicago is, and that's the third biggest um, city in the United States. So it's big from a momentum sense um, in that we're getting, you know, large cities across the the finish line to recreational uh, legality. I've often said that um, it's the fiscal aspect of this thing that's going to that's going to drive the, the southern states to um, adopt uh, measures to bring medicinal and recreational um, re- uh, marijuana use into, into the tax system, right? Because they're going to uh, look at what Colorado has been able to do and, and what Washington has been able to do and what these other states have been able to do. And the numbers are only going to um, grow and there's only going to be more ex- examples as other um uh, states like um, Illinois has just done legalize marijuana, marijuana, and so states like um, Alabama and Louisiana are going to be very jealous of the tax revenue, and so I do think that's a driving force. And I'm not sure whether it's a it's a reason that um, states in the South hold out, like Texas, as you mentioned, but it's definitely um, a catalyst for states to adopt. Now um, we got to talk about government, right? Because we got to. <laughs> <laughs> Before you continue, let me provide a little bit of context and then we'll talk about government. So just so we're all on the same page here. The Ontario government somehow managed to fucking lose $42 million selling drugs in the past year. Can someone please explain this to me? Please continue, Nick. Yeah, well, they botched the rollout. <laughs> you botched uh, a marijuana rollout. <laughs> they didn't allow for brick and mortar stores when the... Fucking when the country, yeah. I know when can so they the way Canada rolled it out last October 2018. It's been over a year now. Was they let each province decide how they were gonna control the rollout um, and how they were gonna issue um, licenses for dispensaries. And so you know some had a lottery system and some did this and some did that. But Ontario, um, which is the <laughs> um, the biggest province in Canada where Toronto is, decided not to have brick and mortar stores initially and to do mail order. And so you've seen <laughs> stories over the, over the past year where um, this affected all kinds of stuff, right? It affected like companies oh, sales and profitability because they weren't able to get as much product into Toronto and clearly not onto store shelves in um, Toronto, right? It's affected taxes. It's affected um, black market stuff where you still have over, um, half the sales of cannabis in Canada coming from the black market. And then, um, gosh, there's so many ways to take this. Now you have companies, you know, big, the, the leaders, right? Hexo and, 
and and Canopy having to sort of retool their operations. Hexo just took a big write down on um, like a couple million dollars worth of trim. Now they're talking about edibles and and drinks aren't taken off like um, they expected them to, et cetera. And so, um, yeah, there has to be on 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 the government side uh, appropriate management, fiscal management, which we know government's not good at, in order to reap um, the benefits of those increased tax revenues, right? Here's a number, because I like numbers, right? Um, <laughs> recreational pot reported revenues were $64 million for the year ending March 31st, 2019. Of, those, of that $64 million, the Ontario Cannabis Retail Corp managed to lose 42 of it. It's fucking impressive. I mean, I pick on our government here in the U.S. a lot because there's so many deficiencies and, you know, the corruption and, and the lack of upward mobility. And we talked about that again, the broken records theme, right? We've talked about that at length. Um, but that's 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 pretty impressive. Forty, you know, of the 64, 42 of it was 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 <laughs> were losses. That's insane. You know, my response to that is it's not really on the itinerary, but I I, I kind of wanted to talk about drug prices because I've seen this article going around <laughs> about how drug companies have increased drug prices, right? And it's sort of a trade-off, right? Think about, you know, like where you live and we hear all the time about how, you know, Canada has free health care from candidates like Bernie Sanders and their drug prices are much cheaper, which is true. But then on the flip side, look at this mismanagement of taxes at the government level and look how... Uh, much higher Canadian taxes are and, and look at the weight that they have to go through when they do need specialized services. So, you know, everything is uh, in life is a trade-off, right? And, and, and gosh, let me get philosophical, you know, even from Eastern religions, the yin and the yang, right? To, to, to the big Lebowski, the strikes and gutters, right? Everything in life is a trade-off. And so if you just take a step back, I know we were sort of in a micro discussion, but um Gosh, drug prices rise in five or six percent in the United States as opposed to, you know, government losing two thirds or or more of the the pot revenue that comes in. It's just um, I wanted to put things in a in a bit of context and and relativity there. I like it. Let's talk about the slapping pope. We talk about the fourth turning often on this podcast, and we talk about how the times are definitely changing and how the newer generation isn't falling for the old okie doke right and so unfortunately there's still people out there that believe and have faith and i am not knocking anyone's faith before you guys at me on twitter and send me hate mail and everything else i'm not knocking it i am saying unfortunately there are still people that believe that you know if you just get to touch the pope maybe all will be forgiven um and 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 you'll get some good jujus and and, and good energies moving forward and all will be absolved and so there was an and, and <laughs> there was a faithful pilgrim, as the New York Times describes her, who decided that, you know, the Pope was walking by shaking hands and she just wanted to hold on like the faithful do for an extra couple of seconds. And the Pope responded by slapping her hand two times. If this isn't some fourth turning shit, I don't know what is because this is the new year folks. This is how this lady's new year started. She's out. She's in the cold. She wants a glimpse of the Pope. She waited hours, probably all day to get in the front. She finally gets a whiff of this man, right? This holy man. And, and she ends up getting scolded and slapped a couple of times on her hand. Um, just because she was trying to shake hands. I thought that was very symbolic of the times we're moving into and why the youth isn't buying the bullshit anymore. 
Any thoughts on that, Nick? I know you always have thoughts on the great Catholic religion. Oh, you know I have thoughts. <laughs> you know it was symbolic as hell. It wasn't it was just me perfect, that enjoyed it? It was the perfect physical manifestation of, um, uh, of, of lots of things. Why people are fed up with the church. The church's indifferent attitude towards yes. those reasons and the things that um, that they failed to address over the decades, the arrogance that the church has, um, why it's foolish to be so loyal to the church. Gosh, it would just epitomize all those things so well. And so um, I, I don't think she wanted to hold on a bit longer. I think. She was about, he was about, he was turning away. And so he had touched like the three people before her and he was about to, he was turning away and was going to be done touching that section of people or whatever. And so I think she was afraid she was going to, you know, miss out on her chance, as you said, that she probably waited for all day to get to touch the Pope. Um, and so she reached out as he turned away and sort of grabbed his arm as he was turning away. And he turned around startled. And yeah, did the two, you know, quick slap of the wrist like he would slap a toddler. Um, but the frustration <laughs> on his oh, face. Yeah, and, and, oh, yeah, oh, the oh, clinch. Almost a look of disgust, <laughs> like, how dare you grab me? Which this is supposed to be like the most pious guy, right? Like he's supposed to be washing people's feet, right? Um, but no, how dare you touch him? And I thought that, gosh, it was just perfect. I thought it was the perfect introduction symbolically to 2020 and 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 the movement that is going to only pick up steam and that is just people really getting to peek behind the curtain in a very public way. I think that's going to accelerate. Another sign of the times, the United and then this just broke here a little bit ago, the United Methodist Church has agreed to split amid lgbtq differences have you have you have you read on this nick did a man have a baby with his nine by completely different completely different uh, deal here but this is a big deal this is um you know this is one of the country's largest uh religious denominations and now they'll they'll be dividing into two and so, you know, they, they, they came to an agreement. The United Methodist Church Council of Bishops announced a separation agreement on Friday among the church's diverse factions. The result will be a new formation of a traditionalist denomination, which will continue to forbid same-sex marriage and prevent LGBTQ people from becoming clergy. The remaining faction would permit it. And so this is something that's been you know, debated contentiously for, 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 for months and years. And they've finally decided we cannot agree. So we'll agree to disagree. And it's interesting. I mean, this is almost like, um, you know, a junior mining deal where you're, you're spinning off into a new company. Um, the, the new traditionalist Methodist denomination will receive 25 million from the United Methodist church over the next four years. So they'll be well-funded, um, and again, this is all fourth-turning stuff, folks. If you can't see it, it's going to kick you in the ass in the mid-2020s. It's happening right now. Um, thoughts I, thoughts I, there? Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Oh, I got thoughts on religion. I know always. you do. I know. <laughs> I, love, I love how half of one of the largest religions in the country, how Christian of them, fights to exclude people. Gosh, that's just like 
just what Jesus would have wanted. Agreed. Agreed. That, that That's, yeah. I have nothing else other than good for the half that said, fuck you and your traditional beliefs. It's outdated. It doesn't make sense. It's not inclusive. What are you doing? We don't want to be a part of that. We don't want to be in the same church with you. We don't want to pray together with you. We wish you the best. Give us our $25 million over four years and let us do what we do. Good for them. Yeah, and on a serious note, when we talk about institutions changing, being yes. rebuilt, this is what it looks like, right? Yes. Yes. And, and and it's going to continue and it's going to accelerate. And it's not just religious institutions. It's going to be, you know, central banks. And you'll see it in the next few years. You'll, you've heard me rant and rave about Europe and what's coming there. Um, you know, J- Japan, the U.S. eventually. But it's, uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's here. It's here. And, you know, a part of it is going to bring a lot of volatility. Um, but the other half of it excites me because I think we're actually going to get some results out of, out of this, uh, this shift. I think my kids, you know, especially my younger one, um, will really get to benefit from a lot more inclusivity just in general. Right. Um, it's been so nasty for so long and I'm glad to see people taking a stand and actually getting some concrete results out of their beliefs and opinions and thoughts and faith. And so, Hey, kudos to them for agreeing to disagree. And, um, it looks like progress to me, whether you agree or not, it looks like progress to me. Anything that results in more people being included into being able to participate in a faith in something that's supposed to bring people together, that's supposed to be, you know, a community of people that do well and do good. Um, I don't, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to welcome anybody into that. Um, if they were sincere. Agree and agree that um, I think the world will be a more communal place. I don't want to use the word better because I think that's a sort of a relative term, but I think the pendulum swings toward like individualism and community. And it's certainly been individual for a long time. And I think the world that my um, kids will live in will be a bit more um, communal and inclusive as a result. And that's a good thing. Well said. I agree that it's a good thing. Let's talk about Peppa Pig and Suge Knight. So <laughs> you don't hear those two together very often. You don't, you don't. And that's why I clicked this week. You know, I knew that uh, Peppa Pig or at least the, you know, the parent entity of Peppa Pig, which is a Canadian firm called Entertainment One had been bought uh, by Hasbro. This was a couple of months ago um, for like a couple of billion bucks. Right. And a smart move, I think on Hasbro's part, because now they get to really monetize Peppa Pig, right? You get to get all the little plastic tchotchke Peppa Pig stuff that Hasbro (laughs) is, you know, well monetized. That's what they do, right? So, um, and then you'll get like a a Peppa Pig movie, just like you got a Transformers movie and a Lego movie, um, et cetera, all designed, um, of course, as a sales funnel to um, push toys. But um, in addition to Peppa, Peppa Pig, uh, I said Pepper Pig, just like the fucking the inks with an R, like they say it on the show, Pepper Pig. <laughs> anyway, Pepper Pig. <laughs> been, been, my kids have been watching too much Pepper Pig. This really is addictive for like the the two to five year old crowd. Anyway, yep. um, Entertainment One also owned, um, you know, the catalog Death of Death Row Records. Records. Yes, Doctor exactly Dre, right. uh, Tupac, Snoop Dogg, you name it. It's one of my favorite record labels from the '90s before they went Super Godfather Gangster on everything. So anyway, I just, like you said, it's, you don't hear those two together um, very often. And for Hasbro, um, now to own Peppa Pig and, um, you know, this um, 
br- rap entertainment record that's been um, involved with shooting deaths and gangster stuff. It's just, um, it's funny and something you should know. And it's a bit of a lighthearted story. So I thought I would pass it along. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, on, on gangster and shooting stuff aside, you know, that, that label death row records is, is, you know, the inception of that label is as compelling an entrepreneurial story as you'll find in America. Right. It was a, a, an independent company. It went on to gross hundreds of millions of dollars. It, you know, arguably put together, you know, some of the, the, the most prolific talent of the 90s, whether it was on the production side with Dr. Dre, who is now a billionaire and left for the same reasons you cited, right? The the the, the violence and, and, and the culture that surrounded that record label. But, you know, to one of the most compelling art of, artists of our time, if you're into hip hop at all, Tupac and, you know, one of the more famous entrepreneurs now in Snoop Dogg. But, you know, to think that all of that talent was under one umbrella and then to think that that umbrella was independently owned, um, is, 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 was pretty impressive, especially in the nineties. And so, um, go Hasbro and go pepper pig. Yeah. Look forward to a pepper pig movie coming soon. Maybe it'll get me out to the theater. I like it. Listen, I know we're coming off a of new year's people want to get going. I know you want to talk about weasels. What do you got to talk about weasels, Nick? It, it'll be fun. We'll, we'll, we'll make it quick and then we can get out of here. So we started um, with war and we're wrapping up with weasels. If that's not <laughs> continuity in a podcast, I don't know what it is, folks. <laughs> that's how it goes. War weasels. Segway um, experts <laughs> from war to weasels. Um, th- there's a giant weasel problem in Germany, particularly that they like to get inside of cars um, and destroy like wiring and things so much so that there was, <laughs> 200,000 reported cases of this in Germany um, last year, so much so that you can get special upgrades to your car. When you buy a new car, you can get like a $500 weasel deterrent system, um, so much so that you can get like a separate insurance policy for weasel damage. And what so in the that, world? <laughs> they, they think the problem is actually underreported because... Um, if you don't have the weasel coverage, you might not be reporting the weasel damage that happened to your car. Yeah, I guess after uh, the 1950s and 60s when fur was really popular um, uh, and they would kill many more weasels um, and martens for their fur, um, there was a population explosion and weasels like to be next to human populations because uh, they get food scraps and go in the trash just like a raccoon or whatever. And I guess they especially like to get into cars you know i've heard this with squirrels rarely you know a squirrel putting nuts inside of a car messing with the wiring but apparently this is um you know epidemic proportions and so there you go another lighthearted story for you on the weasels i had never heard of such a thing they should get the squirrel lady at them oh my gosh oh well listen you're loving (laughs) that's perfect you know why it's perfect because squirrel lady was electrocuting the squirrels to protect her property by putting up a perimeter and that's exactly what the weasel deterrent system does it puts um an electronic perimeter around the around the car to shock the weasels so not far off there gerardo i told you all the Segway game was strong today <laughs> from war to weasels to the squirrel lady how you like that i love it listen on a serious note um the bushfire disaster out in australia is is is, is pretty significant we often point to the uglier side of our resource space and 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 highlight the bad actors that you know people people and companies that we think are think are acting in bad faith. 
Um, it's worth mentioning. Well, first off, you know, uh, all thoughts and good vibes to everybody out there that's 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 being affected by this. But kudos to Real Tinto, and I know it's not a lot, but look, uh, they donated a total of a million dollars um, Australian to the Red Cross to help with the relief and recovery efforts. And I thought that you know whether you you know people say, well, it's just a million dollars. Hey, look, it's a million dollars that the Red Cross didn't have, um, and I'm sure that the the resources that um, the, the, the Red Cross will benefit from as a result of the donation um, are going to affect real people that are that are being affected out there. So um, thoughts, prayers, good vibes, whatever you're into, just good energies to everybody out there in Australia and, and everybody affected. And kudos to Real Tinto for stepping up and saying, hey, look, you know, we're a part of the community and and we want to we want to contribute something. Yeah, that's a terrible situation and uh, and, uh, and a bright spot from the from the sector that we're involved in. So good vibes to everyone down there. I like it. And good vibes to everybody out there. Happy 2020 to all of you. It should be an exciting, volatile, profitable, um, batshit of a year is kind of what I'm expecting. But let's uh, let's start with a happy new year's to everyone. I am Gerardo Del Real. This was episode 51 of Bizarro World. Mr. Co-host Nick Hodge, send us off. Watch out for those weasels. See ya. <laughs>